This podcast proudly brought to you by Moss Shot Shells. Old school is back in season. Experience superior shells when you go with Boss Shot Shells. Their premium, non-toxic bismuth shells knock birds down so hard that the old guys might just think they're shooting lead again. Make sure you check out Boss Shot Shells for your next purchase of shotgun shells. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. On this week's episode, Elliot and I go over 10 things that will take off any hunter in any situation. So stay tuned for that. We've got a pretty spicy list. But before that, a quick word from our partners, and we'll jump right into the podcast. Gunner's American-made dog boxes come with a lifetime warranty and the market's only CPS crash test certification. The guys over at Gunner Kennels have conducted major stress tests to show just how strong they really are, like applying 4,000 pounds of force, dropping a 630-pound hammer from 8 feet, and shooting it with a 12-gauge shotgun at 7 paces with no bullet penetration. Engineered for your dog and built for your peace of mind. Gunner doesn't cut any corners. Nothing comes close to the G1. Go to GunnerKennels.com and use code DuckGun10 at checkout for 10% off your next purchase. We'd also like to give a big thanks to our partners over at ShotCam. Now I've been using ShotCam for the last year and I can tell you right now it's a great tool for improving your shooting whether you're doing clays or live birds or just want to see some cool footage of your shots after the fact. Make sure to check out shotcam.com and use discount code DUCKGUN at checkout for $40 off. Hi, this is Killian Bailey from Bailey's Game Calls. I'm here to tell you about our duck, goose, and wood duck calls. We use 3D printing technology to revolutionize the industry. This new technology allows us to create calls with the same sound as wood, acrylic, or anything in between that's at a fraction of the price. Make sure to check out baileysgamecalls.com for your next game call. Next, we'd like to give a big thanks to our partners at White Rock Decoys. Be a nomad and get out further with their system of wind socks and silhouettes. Use discount code DUCKGUNPOD at checkout for 10% off your next order at whiterockdecoys.com. That's right. What's going on, folks? I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my co-host alongside me, Elliot Graybeard from Freelance Duck Hunting, and we're here for another podcast coming at you tonight. So first off, before we get started, I want to let you guys know, appreciate you guys sticking with me in particular. Got a cold, got a Kleenex shoved up my nose right now, so Elliot's laughing at me, and my voice is a little gruff. So we're going to push through it. As I say, the show must go on. So how are you doing tonight, Elliot? Well, I'll tell you what. I don't know if, if the listeners know this or not, but Jordan and I are on Discord where we can see each other, and then we record the podcast um, for the audio. And I honestly, I don't know if I can take anything that you say seriously when I'm looking <laughs> at you with a tissue hanging out of your nose. <laughs> well, it's either that or you're going to see uh, snot uh, dripping <laughs> off a mustache. So. <laughs> Down into your beard. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah. or they're going to be hearing my nose blowed all night, so... Yeah, I feel like this true. is the best all-around solution, and you're just gonna have to tough it out. <laughs> Summer colds do suck. They're worse. They're worse than winter colds. Winter colds, you know, it's cold outside. You expect it, but summer colds, man, not fun. Not fun. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was out in Utah at a big convention, and you know, sitting in a room with a lot of people, shaking a lot of people's hands. It's just like. You know you're gonna get sick. <laughs> <laughs> so someone wasn't cleaning their hands properly, is what you're saying. I, yeah, I guess I'm not sure. I just know <laughs> I came back and now I got a cold. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Well, it's been kind of an interesting week here because I don't even know if I told you this. I tell you about what happened to Isabel, my dog Izzy. Um, no, I don't think you told me in person, but I was definitely following along with the posts. Yeah. Yeah. So last Easter, like not this past Easter, the one before that, she had what I thought was a seizure on Easter morning, rushed her to the vet and everything. And she's been fine ever since. 
But what was that like? I think Wednesday, Wednesday night or Tuesday night, something. I'm just sitting on the couch and my wife was sitting here and all of a sudden Izzy like dashes over like to the side of the couch. She's just acting really weird. Almost like she thought some food had been dropped over there or maybe a mouse had scurried. So I went over there and then she starts like feebly trying to crawl and it was obvious there was something seriously wrong. So she went into the thing where she loses all of her ability to walk. She can crawl. But if she stands up and tries to walk, she just like falls over. It's like she's just really drunk, basically, is how she kind of acts. And then she just lays there and she was just panting like 100 miles an hour and and kind of almost shivering. And I'm like, man, and this is like I think it was almost 1230 at night um, when this happened. And so we're all huddled around her and everything, having no idea what to do, nowhere really to take her. Last time I took her when this happened on that Easter morning. Um, she must've done it during the night. Cause I woke up and opened the door where she sleeps and she was just kind of stumbling around and stuff, but I don't know what it is. Um, I, we kind of looked up some things we thought maybe, um, it has to do with, um, some type of where she has lots of pain. Like it's a pain reaction. I, I don't know, but she was miserable. So we took her, took her into my son's back bed and just, I ended up sleeping in there with her. Uh, and Nevin for the night. And in about an hour, she was back to normal, but it's like, man, so it, it just sucks seeing her get so old. So she's got this bad, I, at this point, if she doesn't get better, I can't imagine her hunting again, which I had planned on taking her out for a few hunts, um, which she'll be 12 by then, but just sitting there and watching your dog go through this and just, I mean, you, you could see that, that one picture. I don't know if you saw where I'm kind of hugging her. Her face is like in her ears are all flat to her head. She looks so pathetic. I mean, she was miserable. She's like trying to crawl into my son's lap. I mean, it's just so painful to sit there and watch her go through this stuff. So that was, that was the big horrible event of the week, but now she seems fine now. I mean, she's back to herself. So I don't know, man, I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, sounds uh sounds terrible for sure, and it's just uh no fun seeing, um you know your best hunting bud and and your partner like that kind of going yeah. through all those. Yeah, it's the perfect time to get little Georgie on July eighth though. So I mean, it's just um, Izzy can kind of ease off into retirement, and and we can have little Georgie around, and maybe she'll. Um, if you guys haven't listened, she's a little black lab pup. She'll be eight weeks old. I'm getting her from Flatlander or Flatland. There's a Flatlander. Flatland Kennels. Sorry. Had a glitch there. Uh, Flatland Kennels in Nebraska. And so she we're, she's coming in on the 8th of July. So it's perfect time. Hopefully she'll spark a little life in Izzy. Sometimes that can happen, you know. Dogs start playing. and so, mm-hmm. uh, Perfect timing, though, for that. Yeah, it'll be really cool getting to see those two interact and all that kind of stuff and train yeah. her up. Yeah. Have Izzy show her the ropes. <laughs> I don't know, man. There's... So we'll see. We'll see. what I'm hoping I can still get Izzy out a couple times next year, but I don't know. All right. Well, any other weekly updates? Well, I do want to say if you're listening, remember to check um, out our YouTube channels, Freelance Duck Hunting and Duck Gun Chronicles, where you can see all of our hunts from the past few years. Um, I've been going at it for four years. Jordan's been going at it for two. And you have actually a, a little bit of – Almost two years and a few hunts, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. And then um, hop on over to Facebook where you can join the Facebook group, Fellowship of the Duck Gun. And please remember to um, give us a rating and review. It really helps us out there if you're for the podcast rating. Awesome. And then kind of while we're on that same subject, um, we just put out a post last week. Elliot and I are um, going through planning, trying to get the rest of our off-season topics planned out. So, we got a discussion thread on there, um, so make sure you jump over there. If you got a topic you'd like us to um, talk about, add it, add it on there, and we'll uh, consider it and get it on the list. And I think maybe the ones we decide not to do an entire episode on, maybe we can just have like a short hit on, like the one where it talked about someone was talking about you know surface drives versus long tails. I I wouldn't be knowledgeable enough to do a, a full um episode on that but i'm certainly we could talk about it for a few minutes i've I've actually driven both those we've had both those in the past so something we could hit maybe we can just hit a bunch of them on one night yeah so definitely a lot of different plans we can do with that so 
Um, I think that's good. Um, I guess one last weekly update that I would get or I'd have is uh, still working with Chief. Um, actually, I had to take a lot, a lot off this week um, just because I was out of town. So we worked tonight for the first time since either Monday or Sunday. And I don't know if having like the, the five days off, but he's just like spectacular. I mean, I think he had like one small little duff where he came off place too soon and I just sent him back and he jumped right back up there and um, getting him on the whistle sit and sending him out on side now. So got all the place work done and heal and um, sending him out on side and starting to do a little bit of steadiness. So it's going good. Awesome. That's great. I can't wait to, to see him. Um, you're bringing him in September, I, I assume, right? Uh, yeah. Anywhere I go, Chief comes to. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. I mean, that, yeah, I can't wait to see him again. Um, oh, I, I was going to tell you, we talked a little bit about, I got a official Jordan approval to talk about my dream. The reason I asked you for it, because my <laughs> wife has taught me, listen, no one thinks dreams are funny. Don't be telling your dreams, but I want to tell this one because we, we've already talked about waterfowl hunting dreams in previous episodes, right? Yep. And yep. So, and, and what I've told you is I'm always just pathetic and feeble in my dreams. So this is a great, great example to tell you kind of, and it's a little bit embarrassing to tell this dream too. So, but this kind of, this is kind of how typical Elliot waterfowl hunting dream. I had actually two waterfowl hunting dreams in the past week, but I'll only tell one. The other one, it was, it wasn't very boring. It was just me and scouting forever and not being able to make a decision of where I was going to hunt. Um, but this other one, I was on a three day hunt trip. And I don't remember day one and day two, um, but I know that I had done terrible, but I don't remember what those hunts were, but I do remember day three and day three, for some reason, um, before I married my wife, Beth, uh, my son, Nevin and I lived in a little two bedroom apartment out in the country. And for some reason we set up the decoys in my apartment living room, <laughs> but there was no roof on. Right. And I remember I had the decoys like trailing out the front door. <laughs> and uh, after we got this set up, and I don't even remember if there was water or not, but after we after we got this set up, I realized how stupid this was going to be. I was sitting there in the front room, and I was looking up into the open sky, and I'm like, no mallards are going to come and land in this house. And <laughs> here's the part that embarrasses me. I went outside, realizing this was day three of the hunt trip, and I started bawling. <laughs> because I hadn't shot a single duck on this three-day hunt trip. Now I want to d- uh, make this clear. I don't. I don't think. I, first of all, I don't think there's anything wrong with men crying over certain things. Um, I personally have not cried for many, many years. But I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think a good cry now and then would probably feel good. But I'm not just like a, a frequent cry or anything. But I was in the front yard of this old apartment, sobbing that this was day three of the hunt trip and I had not shot a single duck. <laughs> that's pretty funny yeah i think i think that's uh your, your wife might be wrong on the dream yeah. for, for duck hunting and a duck hunting podcast i think that's, that's pretty funny yeah yeah well there'll be more to come trust me because i have duck hunting dreams a lot <laughs> and the other scout and the, the other the only thing i went for from the other duck hunting dream was that i fell in on my waders and was drowning and no one was coming to help me but. <laughs> Sounds more like a nightmare. Yeah. All my all of my waterfowl dreams are none of them are, yeah, we shot this awesome limit. They were cupping right in. <laughs> if they cup in, my arms don't work to pull up the gun. <laughs> yeah. It's never me. It's never like a awesome man. That was a great dream. It always sucks. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think this is probably a good point to jump into the regular content. Um, did we ever come up with a title for this? We got our whole list. What no, I don't think about. so. I don't think we did. Well, here's your chance to shine. What's the, what, what are you going to call this one, Elliot? Well, I really liked the, how to piss off other hunters. All right. Um, I know <laughs> when, when I, when I did a video on this a few years back on freelance duck hunting, I put the top five sins of duck hunting or sins of duck hunting. This is a 10 top 10 list of the things that annoy us the most and probably most, a lot of you too, that other hunters do, um, kind of like hunting etiquette. Here's what you do not do as a duck hunter. All right. So I don't know if I answered that question or not, but yeah, no, I think that's a good, yeah. So summarize the topic is 10 ways to piss off other hunters. Yep. All right. And we're going to start at 10 and we're going to go to one, right? Yep. We order um, these on what makes us annoyed the most 
All right. All right. We'll go every other on this. So the first one, sketching out on your hunting partners. And there's a, there's a lot of different ways you can do this. Um, you can just not show up. You can uh, not reply back to text messages. And we all know, everybody who's hunted, you have a buddy who's like this. Um, and they either not text you back or they'll be like, yeah, we're going to go hunt. And then you try to make the plan and they don't get back to you. You know, uh, if you're that kind of guy, just, just say no. It's like that easy. Just say no and it's fine. And then the other guy can go off and make his plans however he wants. Just don't leave somebody hanging, um, in any one of those ways. Yeah. Does it count if someone hunts nonstop with you for three years and, and everyone on YouTube falls in love with you, with them, and then they just <laughs> stop waterfowl hunting? Would that uh, fall into this? <laughs> I guess. Did he tell you he was not going to, or did he just stop showing up? <laughs> um, well, he phased out in season three and never hunted in season four. I'll say that. Okay. So what were the conversations like? I don't, am I, uh, I don't want to dig too far into this, but like, um, if you don't want me to, is, no, I no, I, I, I'm not. Hmm. Hmm. Was it like, Hey, you're going to come on this hunt and then like no reply back or maybe, or, um, it wasn't the only thing that was last second, really, when I realized the, uh, the extent of what this problem was going to be was the survival hunt, or I mean, sorry, the survival river trip last year, where it was like constant reminders. Yeah, I'm going. Yeah, I'm going. Checking in, checking in. And then the last second, um, just all of a sudden bailing out for basically no reason at all. That's when I realized, okay, um, this may be a permanent thing, um, but I don't really remember the independent conversation. I would I wouldn't have any problem with sharing them. I just can't really. There was probably so many that went in there um, that I can't really remember the specifics of it. But it was gradual. It was gradual. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I think that falls under it somewhat. <laughs> Honestly, I'm in the mood to be a little bit more honest about it um, right now than I ever have publicly. But I don't know. I don't know how much we want to go into that right now. Really. Um, it was difficult for me. I, I considered him, you know, one of my best friends. And um, we were becoming just buds just quickly, like really close and talking all the time. And it felt like he was like, eh, not really in for this friendship anymore. It's kind of how it felt. I don't even talk to him. I haven't talked to you know, him. I go months now. I don't even talk to him. So, and it's maybe that's my fault. I mean, with me, if you're not a waterfowl hunter um, and you're not like in my small group or something, I'm probably not going to chit chat with you that much. That's honestly, that's kind of how it is because that's just what i love to do you know yeah but i hear you it was a it felt like a it felt like a well you know i don't really want to be a part of this group anymore that's how it felt and and um so i would that wasn't something that i enjoyed i guess i don't know how to put it yeah i know what you mean and i'm and i don't want to come off oversensitive about it but <laughs> you know i thought he was all in and we were a tight group you know yeah, and then just to have someone like, eh, I'm kind of done with this. But I've learned in, in my life, there's there's some people that get gung ho into um, certain activities, and then a few years later they just move on. There's there's certain guys that are like that. They're a fisherman, then they're a hunter, then they're a golfer, then they're a gambler, and they go through <laughs> these cycles of like um, passion about these things. So, anyway, that's probably as much off topic on as we want to go. <laughs> No, I think, yeah, we can, we can put that in that group as well. And then I, I'd add one more kind of, kind of person to like the sketching out. Um, and it's your, I would say like seasonal friends where they're like all in. Um, and as soon as it's off season, you don't really hear from them again yeah. until a couple of weeks before season. And then they're like, Hey, how's it going? <laughs> yeah. So don't be either, you know, don't be any of those guys. Yep. All right, Elliot. You're up. <laughs> oh, are we turn, taking turn, taking us? Okay. Number nine is ramp behavior. Um, and I'm going to start in on this one. There's there's some <clears throat> kind of rules when you're putting your boat in on the ramp that you want to make sure that you abide by. And I'd say the, the number one complaint or problem is that guys, and I'm sure if you're a fisherman, you have a boat, you see this too. Guys roll their boat down and block the ramp, and then they get out and prep their boat. And so everyone's just waiting. You got to prep your boat ahead of time and then be completely ready to offload, take your boat down and then offload it. It's the guys that prep and block the ramp is what really makes other people angry. And then there's always the guys that have, that are slow to, 
to load their boat up. That's a little bit more forgivable um, because the hunt's over at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't run into that a lot because I use my canoe. And if I can avoid going to the actual boat ramp, I will try to get closer to where I want to go. Um, but, you know, I'd say a couple things. Um, for one, uh, I've had where I've gone to the boat ramp with my canoe. Somebody else is in there or getting ready, prepping their boat or either about to launch. And I go over there and try to have a conversation. Hey, like, which way you're going uh, up or downstream? And I, and I understand, like, keeping, like, some of it secret. And they don't want to, like, they're tight-lipped. They don't want to tell me anything. And I'm like, I got a canoe. If you're going the same way as me and I start 15 minutes before you and I have to turn around and paddle upstream, like, I lose so much time. Just, like, um, so I understand, like, some of it, you know, you don't want to give your spots away. Yeah. But also, right. there's got to be some kind of courtesy, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the best way to handle it. And normally we get there so early we don't see the people at the boat ramps. But um, if I do, I'm certainly saying either if I'm there first, I say, I'm going here. Um, where were you planning on going? If they're first, then I give them the courtesy and say, where are you guys going to plan so I, so I can go in a different way? I think that's kind of a rule of thumb because if I'm there first, I'm not going to say, where are you going? I'm going to tell you first where I'm going. Um, yeah. And then you need to respect that. Now, being in a in a kayak and then you got someone motoring in that's a whole different deal because they can just skip you but <laughs> definitely those talks are are certainly good to have yeah definitely agree uh the next one we got is uh, not controlling your dog and um, this can be a little difficult one i've had actually some run-ins myself with chief unfortunately um and yeah, so there's some difficulty with that for sure, but it's definitely something that you need to get under control um, before you're hunting close enough where your dog can ruin somebody else's hunt. Yeah, I know the last video of season one, um, we had a guy, um, his dog came from probably 300 yards away to try to retrieve one of our ducks and <laughs> then came over, was jumping in our boats and everything. And, <clears throat> and man, I mean, we were friendly with the guy when he came in came over and maybe made a few cracks about him on video, but I mean, we're friendly with him. I mean, you know, he's, it's not like he's doing it on purpose. It's just some dogs are high energy, but literally it took probably 40 minutes to get this dog to come back. And that's 45 minutes where nothing's going to come in. And, uh, you know, cause there's a guy and his dog running around in the marsh. So it just yeah. causes, causes a problem. It, it halts the duck hunt, you know? Yeah. And so I'd say too, like, uh, you know, for me, when I had my issue with Chief last year, um, it was the first time of the season. It was the first time he was out um, of the season. Um, and also, he wasn't wearing his e-collar. So, um, <laughs> so those things to consider, you know, maybe make get your dog out there um, a little before season. Or if you're on your first hunt and you don't know how excited he's going to be, because that was really the issue. He was over overexcited. Um and yeah, he, uh, he wasn't responding to, to me, uh, being disobedient. So <laughs> yeah, we've, we've all had, I know my first dog <clears throat> liked to go and jump in other people's trucks. <laughs> so I'd be, I'd be like walking her back up to the ramp or whatever. And, uh, she, they would open their door, man. She just hop right in. That's embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't want to down on chief too much. Sometimes I feel like I'm almost downing on him. Like chief's a working progress and he's getting so much better this this year, um, we're always working on everything, but I've had similar stuff too, where, uh, and you've seen it when I've hunted with you and Izzy, but chief won't leave other dogs alone. <laughs> yeah. I ended up with a little slit on his nose from Izzy for that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She got, she got nipped back. Chief wouldn't keep his nose out of her, out of her butt pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So he learned his lesson. Well, he didn't cause he kept doing it, but <laughs> he learned it a little bit, we'll say. But I've also had where, you know, somebody uh, I was hunting with, they have a dog as well. They put their dog in the boat. So Chief would, Chief would leave him alone. Yeah. And, uh, and it's not like I can just watch Chief the whole time. I'm like trying to help clean up. And the next thing I know, Chief jumps in their boat. I'm like, okay, come on, Chief. Like, <laughs> Do you think you can have some training? You should have some training sessions with Chief. Someone bring over a dog with a shock collar on. Yeah, no, I definitely could. You should do um, that because, yeah, he doesn't give up. No, he doesn't. You should do that. No, I think, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of things I should do. Should do so hopefully uh, <laughs> I find time for that this summer. So did you see the video I posted of um, my new puppy Georgie's dad retrieving one of them retrieves? 
Was that a video? I think I saw I've saw posts, but yeah, um, there's a video. I, there's a video that and it's actually Flatlander kennels, not Flatland. Flatlander kennels. Um, yeah, he posted a video. He's doing this dog of the day or dog of the week thing, and the name of this dog is Flash, and he's got a whole seven minute retrieving session with this dog. And I'm a little bit worried because well, number one, this dog is like as fast as can be and like as athletic as can be, which is impressive. But <laughs> like, like the sure drive and energy that this dog had like this dog was sitting on um this little mat before their trees and like every ounce of mental effort it was taking that dog to to, to do what he was told to do he did it but these are like pro trainers right (laughs) and so man i hope that georgie doesn't have as much drive as her dad or (laughs) it's gonna be a whole different dog than izzy i can tell you that yeah well i'll tell you what like i've been doing the retriever training videos and i know you said you're getting an e-collar too so i mean i'm definitely saying you get that e-collar and do the training retriever stuff like it's such a big difference with chief um, and I don't know if there's just like less confusion cause I'm doing it the same mm-hmm. way a pro would do it. Um, and I think that's part of why I had struggles before. Cause there's just like, I'm doing the wrong things mm-hmm. and he's getting confused, but like, there's no confusion the way I'm doing it. Like I'm seeing his drive go up, his obedience go up, his retrieving go up everything. So it's just like, um, yeah. It's, so it's you're finding good. those videos to be really helpful then. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Yeah, I have not signed up to that. It's theretrievertrainer.com. It's Freddie King. By Freddie King. You yeah. Know we should get him on here sometime. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. It, it would be kind of, I wonder if he would come on at the same time as Chris Jobman, maybe we could have them both on. Um, or we could do it, we could always do it separate as well. But yeah. definitely. Yeah. You know, and there's also a Facebook group that you can go that's closed unless you have a membership to that. And Freddie King will respond right back to you. So if you have any problems... Um, you need to go over to that page. I can't remember what it is. I'll find it and just tell him, you know, I'm a, and you can jump right in. So if you have any problems, they'll just, he talked back and forth with me quite a bit and I, and I wasn't even a paying member yet. Um, it was cool. So yeah, I can't wait to get into those videos. That's what I really want as a, as a training. It's like, here's what I do. Show me what to do. I can do it. Show me what to do. No, you'll have, you'll have no problem with it. And the only thing is if, um, if your dog, like, cause it feels like a lot of times, and it's probably cause he's a good trainer, but his dog never, uh, has any issues. He just goes through it and his dog does good. Yeah. And uh, you hear him a lot. He's like, oh man, the dog's making me look good. And so like if, but if like he had dogs that didn't make him look good, yeah. um, <laughs> or that existing bad habits, that's the only time I run into any issue. And then I just, um, keep working on it and work through them. So yeah, yeah, yeah that you're right. Knowing what to do when they, things go wrong. Yeah. All right, next one is, this is number seven, um, publicly giving out marsh locations. Or, and let's add into that, going back to a spot someone takes you without talking to them about it. Yeah, so, yeah, that's definitely a point where you have to be careful on. So, I mean, because a lot of, these are all public places. So, I think the rule of thumb that I would be okay with. And you, you can say if you disagree with this okay. or, or agree with it, but um, if you're going to go back to a public land spot that somebody showed you, then you have to at least say, and at least invite them. Say, hey, I'm going to go here. Do you want to come too? I would say that's... Too, now, how much time elapsed in between? No, I'll just say this. I, I think that's overstepping your bounds. Um, I think that some time needs to be given in between the time that they take you. And then you call them and, and you say, Hey, um, would you mind if I were to go there and maybe you could come with me? I think it needs to be an ask for permission. Um, if this is a place they take you that you didn't know about. <clears throat> right. So, yeah. And, th- and those discussions come up. It's like when, when you're kind of talking to some, have you been here? Have you been there? If they've already been there, um, then it's different. You know, they're taking you or if you even, it is really gets in gray area. Like, uh, my friend Jason that, um, I've been on a couple of hunts with his son's Hunter, the Turkey Slayer. So there's one main place that I love to hunt and one main place that he loves to hunt. We have both hunted, um, each other's spot before we knew each other, but they weren't our main spots. Right. So when we first started sharing information a lot, um, if we go to the spot that was my main hunting spot, if he knows I'm going there, he gives me priority to it. So I, I basically get to pick where I'm going to set up and he kind of takes the seconds on it. And my spot's a lot bigger. If we're going to go to his hole, 
Um, like he, there's been one time he said, Hey man, um, could you not hunt that on Friday? We're going there Saturday. If you want to come with us, stuff like that. But we honor each other in those spots because they were like our favorite number one go-to places. But it's been really interesting navigating, um, those situations with him where Aiden golden boy, um, as he was totally new to duck hunting. And so there were some times where early on he was kind of just going back to some places and he, it took him a while to figure out. I would just say, hey, don't don't go there. Don't go to this spot. I'm hunting. I wouldn't even ask him because I, like, showed him this area, like, hunt here, hunt here. I just, like, laid it out for him, showed him everything I knew. So I was a little territorial of some of the spots. No, I'm not, I'm not at this point because we've hunted them so much together. Now they're just, like, our spots. But at the beginning, I would say, you know, he's like, oh, I'm planning on going here. Like, could you please, could you please not and hold off on that? And is there anything you know, else? And he was totally receptive to that. Um, but there's certainly a lot of always err on the side of, um, this is this person's spot and I need to ease into it and respect it is always the way you err on. I think. I think you're, uh, you're just, you're giving more ammunition to the golden slave kind of, <laughs> Hey, these were my most sacred of holes that I was, I mean, I cannot tell you how much information I gave him that took me years to acquire. Yeah, a lifetime of knowledge. So no, I'm I'm just I'm just giving you a hard time on that. So <laughs> Yeah. My little golden uh, slave. My little golden <laughs> slave flew the coop. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's probably different in every area, kinda like what extent you go to because your spots are actually really hidden. Yeah. Um like public land spots here are not hidden. You just don't know of them because you don't know of them. But it's not yeah. like anything's hidden, I would say. Yeah. Because I've I've gone to your spots. I mean they're hidden. Yeah. There's like, yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, so it's, but it's, if you take someone for the first time and they don't know of it, they shouldn't be going back there without talking to you about it first. Yeah, definitely. Some kind of conversation needs to happen, whatever level it's definitely not. Um, you showing up at your spot and they're there. That's the worst case scenario. Yeah. That's the worst case. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, uh, you've seen the, the internet memes of stuff like that. And it's like, uh, <laughs> Uh, it's like this picture of this kid and he's got like a gun <laughs> and uh, I think the meme says um, found my uh, buddy at my hunting spot I'm gonna have to put him down or something like that <laughs> it's a little extreme but you know well my, my number one my number one and two kind of spots I won't take just anyone to I just won't um, yeah. there's there's I know the Texas boys I hunted with a couple times last year um, I they I never talked to them about my number one spot. I never talked to them about it. Now I gave them, I, I turned them on to some places to hunt that I knew were pretty good that I didn't hunt very much. And they ended up actually doing well at those places. But as far as like my, there's two spots. I don't want to anyone. I won't take anyone to, um, without, unless I know I'm gonna hunt with them a lot, um, that I just won't because they're just too sacred. And, and if you don't know the person that well, then it, you just have to be careful because word can yeah, get out. To- you have to trust them. And sometimes trust takes years and years, you yeah. know? This one little hidden spot I've got, this is how much uh, word travels, okay? This one spot that I've had one of the best duck hunts of my life. We don't have it very often. Someone, my dad has a hunting buddy on the other side of the state, and they talk on the phone and share information about their hunts, right? So some guy we don't know told my dad's buddy about a spot four hours away from just thinking the guy he's telling about doesn't live close enough to hunt it. That guy shared it with my dad. My dad told me, and within a week later, I shot a limit there. And that's like four people that are just like, come. they don't even know who I am. But they got it to me, and now I hunt that place, you know. So yeah. you, got, you got to be careful. I mean, I don't, I don't have any problems hunting it. I don't know that guy. If I, if I hear there's ducks there, I'm going to go in its public. I'm going to go hunt it. But, so you just have to be so careful. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next one we got up on this is showing up late. So I know in particular, Elliot is a huge stickler on this. Yeah, I'm, 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 <laughs> I need to chill out on it a little bit, I think, maybe. If, if like, if, it's like you don't, you're not late at all. You know, you don't come three, four minutes late. We're a duck hunting. You better be there on time. We're not going to be four minutes late. Yeah, and if, if you're four minutes late, and in that four minutes, another group shows up and gets first pick, yep. and they go to your spot. Not good. <laughs> and that's, I think that's where that uh, <laughs> um, that kind of fear comes from. Because, I mean, literally, it can be a game of minutes sometimes. Yeah. 
And if you're the one that sacrifices and gets up super early, which, um, and your partner shows up late, then yeah, it, it's not good. Yeah. And I'd say I'm typically there 10 minutes early and Aiden's that Aiden's always, I don't think Aiden's ever been, um, late ever. Um, and he's typically there 10, 15 minutes earlier than we say. And so am I. Cause anytime, like if I'm going somewhere, whether it's like a job interview or really important, I'm always 15 minutes late. If I want to make sure I'm not late, I'm typically early in case something happens. You're 15 minutes early. I'm sorry. Yes. Thank you. 15 minutes early. My dad is <laughs> really important. Yeah. Then I just go late. late. Casual. I don't want to seem, you know, like I think it's <laughs> yeah. So but, yeah. I'll share one story from last year. So I'm not perfect on this. But I'm I'm pretty good when it comes to duck season. I'm you know I'm pretty good about it. But I, I have a a bad story about last year. And so you guys know if you've been listening, following uh, that I started working for HDR, doing like media stuff for them, um, hunting and filming for them, all that kind of stuff. So and at the same time, I'm still producing my own content for YouTube and all that kind of stuff. So I get swamped. And the podcast. Season. It's ridiculous, man. The amount of stuff you get done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have I have so much going on. It's ridiculous. And so it's like, uh, and, and you throw in scouting there because I'm scouting. If I'm not hunting, I'm scouting. Almost every day of season, I'm getting up uh, in time to scout or hunt. So it's just, I have a, yeah, I, I got to get up really early. So this is like pretty close to the beginning of season, pretty close to me not being or my body not being used to this kind of rigorous of a schedule. And uh, <laughs> I think it was like day six in a row of hunting. And, you know, my boss is like, um, from HDR is like, you know, be here at this time and that time. And we're going to go do this and you're going to film. And uh, <laughs> it sounds terrible. I mean, but it happened. So, <laughs> but I, I literally, I, I don't remember my alarms going off or anything. I just remember waking up. And it was like, it was already shooting light. And I'm like, oh no, just like the <laughs> sinking feeling in my stomach. And, but yeah, that's the only time all season. Oh man. That, yeah. And it was, I felt, I felt terrible. So, yeah. That's a bad feeling. Yeah. And the, and the bad part about that is I had a decent hunt and I didn't film it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get there on time. Yep. Don't be that guy. Nope. Don't be that Jordan. <laughs> all right loud music and talking is number five and i think we can com combine this with fishing because i you hear this a lot with fishing fishing too which that's probably more acceptable no it's, it's more acceptable it's not probably people listen to music on lakes and stuff like that but i like to be immersed in hunting whatever it is and yeah, just don't play a lot of music. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I don't <clears throat> typically hear music played when I'm out hunting. I do hear people singing. Um, <laughs> and I, I one time I had this happen. One of the best hunts my dad and I ever had. Um, when we um, started there, there was a couple guys that came in right after us. And they were dancing, singing, and shooting more ducks than us. And I was just <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. But they didn't stay long. And they left, actually, they left and we ended up shooting our limit, but it's like, I, I just, I, I feel a reverence in a marsh and I just naturally want to be kind of a quiet talker myself, um, yeah. you know, and, and to each his own, but, you know, just respect others around you and, and no one wants to hear you laughing and cackling the whole hunt. Yeah. And I think kind of that we can retouch on another thing from this, um, where we talk about controlling your dog, but if you've ever been in a marsh with somebody who can't and they're just yelling. I, I, I'm not a fan of hearing that. Again, it takes you out of the immersion. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would say, you know, e-collar and whistle, and I'll get the job done, opposed to people hearing. It's almost like if you go to Walmart and you hear somebody yelling at their kid, it's like, it gives me like the same feeling, somebody yelling at the yeah. top of their lungs at their dog at the marsh. Yeah. Um, I was talking to my dad about whistles, and I think I'm going to try to do a whistle training with Georgie, but <clears throat> um, Chris at flatlander has a whistle in his videos that's not it doesn't have like the little ball inside it it's like a short loud precise pop on the whistle and i really like that whistle instead of like the ones that just reverberate like you know just like uh -huh. a, a quick shrill hit that's just huh. over and done i really like that kind of whistle 
Yeah, and I think you can get whistles that dogs can only hear too. Hmm, that'd be great. Yeah, because they make like you can kind of hear it just barely, but it's at a, um, uh, I don't know what do you call it, like a frequency that's yeah. too high a mm-hmm. pitch for the human ear, but dogs hear it fine. Yeah. But yeah, um, I think that that covers that one. So uh, the next one is overcalling. Number four. You gotta like number four. You know, <laughs> you've got a better voice than me. You gotta let's hear it. <laughs> okay. Number four. Yeah, that was weak. <laughs> Overcalling. <laughs> Over making someone say numbers. <laughs> and then tell them that they're bad at it. <laughs> Overcalling. It's worst when you get in a marsh. Now, the best thing to avoid anything that, that you don't like out in public marshes is, is to hunt on private or to find a place where you're off by yourself. And I don't want it to sound like the Jordan. I just hate everyone we're out hunting. That's not true. <laughs> we roll up on people, very courteous, um, like talking to people in the field. These are just kind of typically pet peeves that hunters have. So I don't want to just sound like we hate everyone out there or anything. But, you know. Yeah, we could we could say uh, four things or ten things that if you don't do, it makes every hunter happy. Yeah, <laughs> we just change it to a positive. <laughs> <laughs> things that make us love you don't overhaul <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i have i have a story about this one i'm pretty sure i've shared it before but i'll go ahead again for all the new listeners but um i went out to this um public location and had another guy come into and so we're both sitting on this island um and this island's probably like 100 150 yards i'll say it's 100 yards it's really dense so you can't see to the other side you can't get to the other side um of this island well somebody I set up on the front side of it, and they went all the way around and set up on the back side. So, honestly, not that big of a deal. It's actually decent. I don't know how far they were away from me. But every single time I called, they called. I would call. I'd see ducks out, and I'd give it a call, and they'd call. And at first, I'm just like, oh, that's weird. They're seeing ducks at the same time as me. But they can't see anything on my side, you know. Um, so it's just like every time I called, every time I called and I'd call, I'd see ducks. And like, so later on in the day, I'm just like, no, they're just literally calling when I call. And so I I ended up testing my strategy, called for a duck, quack, quack, quack. And then sure enough, hear them calling at the same time as I do the whole time. And then they stop when I do. I'm like, okay, now I pick up my goose call. Honk, 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 you know, <laughs> and no joke, instantly goose calling from the other side. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> so these, these guys were just not seeing anything and just calling when I called. And that, that kind of, that ticked me off. Cause you know, like if someone, this goes to another extreme and they weren't necessarily doing this, but it's not helpful when I'm trying to work in ducks, they can't see and they're calling over there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's even worse. If you've taken one step, this didn't happen in particular because they couldn't see but when you call ducks off of somebody else when they're working in there and um you call ducks that are working from them off of them yeah if they're if they they look like they have their wings set to go into someone else's spread or they're committing stay quiet stay quiet there's no reason to try to pull them off those guys i mean if they're in between you mutually in between the groups that's fine but if it looks like they're really setting up to work that other group then just let it be yeah, give them a chance. Give mm-hmm. them a chance to work the ducks. Well, I know for a fact I used to overcall because I was in my 20s. I was out um, duck hunting, and um, I had another group about 200 yards scream to me, um, <laughs> they're call shy. <laughs> if you don't stop calling, I'm going to shove that call right up your <laughs> – <laughs> and I stopped calling, and they shot a duck in the next five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and man, I felt like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I was overcalling that day. <laughs> so I was that guy. Well, happens to the best of us. Yeah, it's all a progression. Yeah. Number three. <laughs> Is this one me? Yeah. All right. So don't be a skybuster. And this kind of really works into the same one. If people are calling them in, don't don't um shoot ducks on the swing to somebody else's set which you know you almost have to sky bust to do that so yeah yeah aiden had some guys shooting his swinging ducks last year they walked in they walked in late on him then they shot his swinging ducks they set up way they walked in late they set up too close they were like trifecta three for three 
walked in late, set up too close, and then we're picking off ducks that were coming. They were setting to come right into Aiden's spread, and they were getting them right on that turn. And Aiden went over there, and and it is nice as he is. He he was like, you know, just talked to him about it and everything. But I know he was not happy. Ruined his old hunt. Ruined his old hunt. Yep. And I've I've seen that as well too. And, and it makes it even worse when you shoot swinging ducks. You cripple them, and they land in your set. <laughs> yeah. And so that's that's a yeah that's uh kind of goes back on the dog one. And that's what happened with me and Chief last year, where I couldn't control Chief. They shot a crippled duck that landed in my set. Chief went after it and followed it into their set. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so don't sky bust. Don't shoot swinging ducks. The other kind of uh, experience I've had with that um, was really early on, another public land scenario. And honestly, I would never set up this close to anybody, um, and I avoid these spots. This was opening day, and there were so many groups in this public spot that it was just not even worth hunting. But at the time, I didn't, I didn't realize – um, what I was really getting myself into. But I, I was watching people shoot swinging ducks, so I was close enough to see it. <laughs> um, and then their dog going after cripples and other people's sets and chasing them through the woods. And it was just like, I mean, it was a fiesta. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and as far as sky busting goes, I think some people view sky busting as shooting beyond your competent range. Um, and I don't think I fully agree with that definition for one, because I don't think people can accurate or can accurately assess their competent range. Um, and number two, I think, I think that sky busting is shooting at birds, one shooting at birds beyond your competent range. Okay. But another thing is shooting birds at a distance in which if you wound them, they're so far away from you that you're probably not going to retrieve them. So if we start getting into the 55 to 60 yard range, and you wing a bird at 55 to 60 yards, your chances of retrieving that bird drop significantly. If you're shooting birds between 15 and 30 and you drop them and wound them, your dog's got a good chance to get there. You've got a good chance to get there. But if you're stretching out to 55, 60, you're going to clip some birds. Um, and the chance of you being able to retrieve those goes significantly down. So, and that's why I say if someone can, if someone can shoot 45% at 50 yards, let's say, which some guys can, um, they're going to wound some birds and the, they're going to lose a lot more birds than what someone who takes closer shots in. And I, I think that, that and we've talked about this a lot. Um, the bird's life and cripples are very important to think about and and add into your decision making and i think with sky busting people think well it scares off the birds it educates the birds um it ruins people experience around you but you never hear people say you know what you're gonna you're gonna lose a lot more cripples like that and now this animal has to suffer and you're not going to be able to dispatch it dispatch it efficiently i don't know that i've ever heard anyone say that and that's that's kind of a shame that that's not part of the thought process around sky busting yeah, I totally agree on on all of that as well. So slot shot selection. I mean, even on private, but especially in public, you know, all the, those things considered. Yeah, definitely important. But you know, I mean, if you're hunting a boat over an open lake and you have a boat and it's an open lake, then you might and you know you can retrieve those cripples. Then that's something that maybe you know, if you feel competent, might make a different different situation. But normally we're talking, you know, shallow weeds and and whatnot. So. It makes it tough. Number two is overcrowding or coming in too close, setting up too close on, on other people. Yep. And we've all, we've all experienced this. We've all been in situations where we have the opportunity to opportunity to be the one crowding. Maybe somebody is where you wanted to be, um, or you're having trouble finding a spot with everybody in the public land location. Um, but you always have those opportunities and it's kind of just a challenge for all of us to avoid that, you know, give everybody their space. Um, I think anywhere, it's really hard to put a number on it with, uh, um, you know, different terrain and all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. But, you know, I guess the, the best way to put it is the further, the better. Um, and honestly, that's for you and for them. It's just going to be easier for everybody to work ducks. Um, maybe they shoot their limit. You can hop over there. Uh, but I would say, yeah, it's just 
the further you can be away is kind of the best the, the better in that yeah. kind of situation and i think 200 yards is kind of the standard they were talking in kansas about uh, making a law which they ultimately didn't pass but i think 200 yards was what they were going to go with i've heard some other states set it at 300 yards 100 yards 150 yards is too close um now if you get a lot of timber 150 yards can feel far away so like you're saying some of it does depend on the terrain but yeah. 200 yards is is standard and i think that a lot of guys don't want to. The problem they get is they walk clear into some place. They're exhausted. They get all the way in there, and now there's no place to set up. So you have to make some decisions. Either you're going to turn around and walk back out, and then your day may be ruined, or you're going to have to just go farther than you've already gone. I think some people at that moment, they talk themselves, well, I think I can make it happen. We'll face this way. They're not like rotten guys. It's just at the moment, the decision is, man, we, we want to get in a hunt. There's birds here. I think we can squeeze in and make it work. It's okay. You know, and they just kind of fool themselves into making a bad decision about what they should do. Yeah. And, there, and there's a couple of things you can do. Um, I'd say one, um, the only time that really puts you in a pinch and really can hurt everybody is if you're getting to the marsh too late. And that yeah. kind of goes to they're getting there on time. So if something like that happens, so one, if you're getting there early, um, you're going to avoid that because you'll be first in. Two, if you have that happen, you have enough time to kind of not put yourself um, in a bad situation where you have a chance to still hunt that morning. So give yourself enough time. And then the kind of the third option, depending on group sizes and, and everything, um, there's nothing wrong with going over, talking with them, and um, combining groups. Yep. So, and, and if they're not cool with it, you still have time to to get on to your next place. Because if they have too big, big of a group, it's not fun for anybody. So I, I would say one story I heard <laughs> um, from someone. It's actually a place that I hunt. And they had a big group, and probably bigger than I normally would hunt with. And well, definitely, definitely bigger. Uh, I've probably hunted with that size of group just a few times, but they had another group walk into the same spot and on public land and it was six of them. And they said, we're going to hunt here and you better be good with it. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, ended up being a group of 11. That's a nightmare scenario. It's a nightmare scenario. So yeah, I mean, um, and I think they said they shot like six ducks. So, you know, six ducks for 11 people. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah. Um, but yeah, so definitely don't be those kind of people. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You've never had anything happen like that with you? Um, I've had guys set up right on me um, and be unwilling to, to move. Not huge groups like that. Um I've got the one on video, the, the it's called um, Conflict in the Marsh, where we were in there early, and these two guys, it's a long walk back in there, they came, they come tromping in, and I know from where they're at, right where they're going, and that's going to be about 100, 125 yards from us, and they're going to have to probably, if they have swinging ducks, they're going to be shooting into us. So I went over there, and I was just like, where are you guys going? Um, they said, we're going right over there. I said, you know, that you're going to be shooting right at us. They, and they, they weren't... It, the, it, it didn't escalate at all. They were just basically, hey, this is where we're going. We hunt here every weekend. We know where we're going. And, I mean, they just went and set up about 125 yards away from us. Now, it was a terrible day, and there was no ducks flying. Had there been ducks flying, they would have been raining shot onto us. Um, so that that's probably the worst case that I've had that I've had it happen recently. We try really hard not to put ourselves in positions to be around a lot of other people. So a lot, most complexes have heavily hunted marshes and then less heavily hunted marshes. And we typically try to go to the, the ones that are not hunted near as much. One way to do that is typically, um, if you have pools that have great food production in it, millet, corn, smart weed, that's where all the ducks are going to feed. They're going to learn after, after you get a push of, of ducks in after the first few days, they're going to learn that that these holes get sh they get uh, they're going to get shot at in these holes. So what they'll do is they'll night feed, and then after they night feed, they'll leave right in the morning, and they'll go to other little pools with less food. So if you can find whether it's little ponds in the area um, or pools that, that you may not think have lots of ducks because they don't have lots of food production, and those will actually hold a lot of birds because the ducks know, hey, we've got to eat here at night because everyone's shooting at us during the day. 
So we we tend really we try really hard to not hunt those pools that are really good on the food production, um, unless we can hit it on a weekday or sometime where we think it's not going to be as crowded because you know where you're going to get into these problems once you learn yep. once you learn a complex. Mm-hmm. And I'd say kind of the the last tip on this one is always have plan A, B, and C. And uh, I know it's different everywhere, and uh, I feel like you know maybe it's just my lack of years and years of hunting um there's just a very limited hunting spots around me and i really need to like one thing i want to work on um is expanding my range you know i know kind of the really local public spots and then some of the guys that i hunt with um their strategy to get away from it is going more the private route but i have kind of a a love for the public land Mm -hmm. stuff and so it's uh sometimes you have to travel a little further and get the knowledge so um, you know, along with the A, B, and C kind of plan, um, maybe you have backup plans. You've never tried public land, and this is your opportunity to go try them. You get to the boat ramp, there's a couple cars there, and you head somewhere else, and you end up trying somewhere new. And that's just a good way to lo- learn new spots through the season. And I know for me, I always say that every year, and it's so hard to go try the new spots when you scout the spots you already know and see that there's some ducks there. Maybe it's not even like the best, but I, w- I would just challenge everybody. Um, you know, try to expand your range and try different places um, as your kind of plan C. And if you need it, you know, or, or plan B, you get to a spot and work from that. And that's a challenge for myself as well. I think a good and a good way to do this, and this would be an interesting video too, is say, okay, I've never really scouted the spot. I don't know it. I'm going to show up there at shooting light, use binoculars, and I'm going to plan. I'm going to try to be hunting by 10 o'clock. Because normally around 10 o'clock, people start leaving the marsh. So you're not walking in on people right during the, you know, first half hour. So you're using those first two hours of the day to just scout and look and watch. And then you're attacking at 10, 1030. Um, and that, so that's a good way to not just give up a day of scouting when you want to be, when you want to be hunting, but still getting a good read on things and, and going in. Yep. Yeah. The only, the only thing I would say to that, I feel like uh, at least where I'm at, we don't have as much of an opportunity um, to do that because just we have, we don't necessarily live in like the same uh mass amount of bird kind of flyway yeah so it's a little different for everybody but i I definitely you know agree that that's a good solution for but how far are you from the great lakes aren't you only like an hour from the great lakes yeah i mean if i was man i'd be on those great lakes if i was you well uh, it's not as easy as that to be honest (laughs) yeah well maybe that's maybe we can i mean we can talk about now if you want to where that might be a really interesting topic yeah. to talk well, we'd about. have to have somebody on yeah. as an expert because i'm not an expert on it i yeah. just i've been to the great lakes though um it's like i mean you got to have the right gear equipment it's not like you're going out in your layout boat really yeah you can't just find little bays and and no, uh, river a, and flows just, stuff like that no it's too overpopulated anything like that it's got houses everywhere uh, okay. so you really you got to get offshore and you got to have a big boat and you got to go in the right conditions so uh, it's not something you can just kind of like yeah, why? I mean, you could do a bunch of research, but you, I think you'd have to have a boat. So is it super specialized, more like a sea duck hunting would be then? Yeah, it's very similar. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you almost have to gear yourself up for that whole thing and really get into it. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, last topic. Or not topic, Number one. Number one, the thing that is the worst thing to do on public land or any anywhere uh just don't leave your trash everywhere it happens all the time it happens so much around here that on the website reports of department of wildlife and parks they'll put pick up after yourself don't leave trash it's like people aren't even trying to pick up their trash yeah and i'll say i have always picked up my trash well but one thing that i did starting off that i later I don't know if I learned or just like realized like, Hey, don't do this, but, um, your shells are trash too. Yeah. So, so some of the guys I hunted with to start off, they just didn't care about the shells at all. Um, and I, I, I don't think that's a good solution. So, uh, <laughs> shells include that in your trash, pick those up, especially, I mean, if you don't see where they go, that's one thing, but like any that you got for sure, you know, pick them up, put them in your blind bag. It'd be good to go. Yeah, give some effort to it. And you think about this also. I've had places that I'm scouting that I'm not sure if ducks, how much ducks use it. And I'll walk along the shore and say, oh, there's shell. There's shell. Well, this must be decent sometimes. You don't You don't <laughs> want to tell people that. You don't want to give that kind of information to people. Yep. So just selfishly pick up your shells. 
yeah, that's, that's great motivation there. Yeah. All right. I think that's about all I can handle before I need to, you know, take some more cold medicine and <laughs> blow my nose. And I'm sure nobody on the podcast wants to hear that. So appreciate you guys sticking through this and listening all the way through the podcast. Um, but you got any last updates before we wrap this one up, Elliot? Nope. We are one day closer to waterfowl season. That's all I got to say. One day closer. Yep. It's uh, right, probably right around the 100-day mark for most people, into September at least. Yep. So, yeah. All right, guys. I'm Jordan, Duck Hunting Chronicles. Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting. Thanks again for joining us, another podcast, and we'll see you guys next week.